The Daily Rios for January 18th, 2013. You know what today is. Yes, it's Feedback Friday, and of course, because I want to record, somebody's doing some drilling or cutting in the background, so you might hear that, so I apologize about that. This is Feedback Friday. I'm also going to do two best ofs, day 13 and 14, because I didn't do one on last night's episode. I'm in the final week of rehearsals for The Producers, a show I've been choreographing, and it opens next week. It's a big show. As we're all finding out, (laughs) which means um, a lot of rehearsals and and coming home and thinking about the rehearsals and the next day rehearsal, uh, how to make numbers cleaner, better, etc. And then, uh, you know, making sure I get out of Daily Rios and then wanting to sleep and spend time with my girlfriend. So after my girl and I talked last night about Les Mis, I realized that that was going to be enough for that episode. So here we are, another episode where where I will put in two best ofs. Uh, for for um, best of 2012. So Eric from longboxreview.wordpress.com is going to kick off today's Feedback Friday episode. It's a response to the Les Mis movie review that I posted last night. He writes, I was glad to hear that you enjoyed it and were moved by some of the performances. I went to see the movie with my wife and daughter over the holidays and it was much anticipated by my daughter and myself because she and I went to a movie theater to watch a broadcast of the 25th anniversary concert, and we fell in love with the performances. We came out of the movie with me having liked the film. This is the new movie he's talking about. But my pretty girl's not really liking it at all. My daughter is the musical theater major, and she was not kind regarding most performers. She really liked uh, only Hugh Jackman and the actor who played Marius. Unlike most people I've talked to or heard discussing this film, I actually quite liked Anne Hathaway's performance. There were a few times where I was getting emotionally caught up in the moment when she sang. Of course, there were times during the film where I could say the same when Hugh Jackman performed. I agree with you about Russell Crowe's performance, but when you compare him to the Javert I saw at the 25th anniversary concert, who was Norm Lewis, Crowe has no chance. All in all, I look forward to rewatching the film when it's released on DVD. But really, all it did is make me want to rewatch the 25th anniversary concert. Thanks for sharing. Thanks, Eric. Uh, in yesterday's review, I mentioned how translating a musical such as this, one where the emotion is one of the key driving forces of what, of what makes this show onto film, you can at times 
get a real intimate look at the characters and the stories that they are conveying. And when I was reading Eric's email, a thought popped in that had it been the reverse, had this been the original and they moved a movie onto Broadway, I think some criticism would have been along the lines of, wow, they turned that intimate yet powerful movie musical into a loud, overacted uh, overacted spectacle. And you know what? They wouldn't have been wrong. Les Mis is loud, and it is overacted at times, and it most certainly is a, is a spectacle. Uh, I think it almost has to be overacted, perhaps not in the strict, strictest terms, though, uh, on stage, to really get the emotions across. Not only that, but just to keep your stamina up over three hours while you're trying to perform all that music and all that emotion. Um, you can't do on the stage what some of these actors did in this movie. Quiet passages, crying, sniffling, half-singing while you uh, and half-speaking. Um, I almost wonder if that's why some musical theater folks are a bit hard on the movie. Uh, because, you know, there are some things in this movie you can do that you can't do on stage. So I'm not trying to defend it. Uh, you know, these are two different mediums we're talking about. Two different executions of material that... Well, you know, is certainly well known for the most part, so I can understand when um, people react to certain deviations. But um, nonetheless, I think some of the criticisms are fair, and uh, you know, it's always good to hear other people's thoughts about this uh, about this movie, especially from musical theater people and people who aren't musical theater people. Um, I did want to give an example of what I mean by uh, intimate movie acting versus <laughs> loud stage acting, if for lack of a better term. On her deathbed, Fantine has uh, a lyric that goes, uh, tell her that I love her and I'll see her when I wake. Now in the movie, Anne Hathaway sang that song. So here is the Anne Hathaway version. Here's the original Broadway version, Randy Graff as Fontaine, how many years ago, you know, in the mid-80s. And this is stage acting (laughs) for this musical. Now, I don't mean that this is what everybody does on the stage, but I just mean that this is this is the emotion that came out in this show back at, back at that time. So you can hear the difference. Uh, you can be intimate, you can be quiet in a movie because the camera is right there on stage. While you certainly can use those same tools, they just decided to go the other way with this musical because it was a mega musical and it was big, right? It was just, just choices. It's all, all about choices. So... Eric, very cool that you went with your family to see it. Let me know if your daughter listened to yesterday's review and if it spurred any thoughts that she may have had. While we're on the topic of musicals, Eric gives us the topic for Best of 2012, Day 13, which would have been yesterday. I would have used it in yesterday's episode, and you'll see why, because he writes, 
I'd like to submit a category for your best of, but it isn't about comics. How about best musical or play that you saw in 2012? To that, I have to give a local professional theater its due. It's the Arden Theater here in Philadelphia, and the show was Next to Normal. It's a small ensemble show. It's about a married woman who uh, loses her second child early on in his life. Um, I think the son is her second child. Anyway, uh, she loses her son early on in his life, um, and this is something that comes out in the middle of the show. So she has a long fight in her life with depression and prescription drugs and being bipolar and trying to be a loving wife and a loving mother, and uh, it was incredibly well acted and well sung. And visually, the director and designer came up with uh, these this large wall in the back that constantly had moving images, uh, whether it was you know electronically made or computer or whatever. Um, and it added a, a, an interesting narrative to the scenes, and 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 it complemented the story, or it would create images or words or text that would represent what was going on. Um, in the lead woman's mind as she was going through some of her mental breakdown. I had two friends in the production, one who played the mother and the other who played her daughter, who were amazing. And I've seen the woman who played the mother in a show a year or so back and felt it wasn't quite the best fit, but this one absolutely was. And a lot of it was because of her commitment to the piece and her research into mental disorders and just her overall journey on stage. Uh, both actors were fantastic. The ensemble was great. Uh... And I'm sometimes hard on this theater because at times I feel they kind of whitewash a bit of their drama. But this show rang true, and, and, and they, keep, they kept the dark parts along with the hope, so good stuff. Speaking of best of, I have some comments on a number of the episodes I've put out recently. This is about best of day 10 uh, and 11, whatever episode that was from the 15th, um, about comics and social media. And this is from Simon McDonald, who says... On one hand, without social media, podcasts included, I would have never gotten back into reading comics. Finding Comic Geek Speak in its infancy and hearing you and Brian talk about comics sent me scurrying off to the local comic shop, and I haven't looked back since. However, I have to say that it is never a good idea to know too much about how the sausage is made. It takes away from the magic of the end product. There is one particular incredibly successful comic book writer that I have a real hard time accepting after meeting in real life. Without throwing the writer under the bus, I was attending a Comic-Con and he expected to be treated like a diva. It was really pitiful. The conference organizers had to fawn all over him. I talked to one of the organizers later about it and he apologized for running off while we were talking. He said if the organizers didn't pay sufficient attention to him, then he might take off and not honor his commitment. It's really ruined that writer for me, and even though I hear great things about his new series, I can't make myself pick it up. On a related tangent, I was a big fan of Orson Scott Card's novels until I started hearing some of his more out-there views on life. So there are at least two authors I've stopped following after learning too much about them. Ouch! Come on, Simon, you know I want to know. <laughs> who you're talking about. I'm going to do a little deducting because I know where you live. <laughs> All right. Um, yeah, that is a downside. You know, on Twitter, Mark Wade loves to throw DC under the bus lately whenever he can, which I just think is silly when you take into account uh, Mark Wade is, was a big fan of Silver Age DC. He has a lot of creative success with DC. And also because some of the stories swirling out there about Wade about Mark Wade and his tenure as a DC editor in the late 80s and the early 90s, right? Just go ask Keith Giffen. 
Um, I've even seen some comparisons of Mark Wade being the writer's equivalent to to the artist John Byrne in terms of ego and tantrums and what the hell happened to him kind of thoughts, you know, but you know, you didn't hear that from me. I have to think that even though Mark Wade is uh, railing against DC on Twitter every now and then, he's probably still cashing those kingdom come checks, I'm sure. Um, all to say that I wouldn't give up social media for the world, you know. Uh, I, I am growing a bit tired of Facebook. If it wasn't because I have family and so many photos on there, I probably would give it up altogether. That's why I keep saying to people, if you really want to follow me, don't. I'm not going to accept your friend, Facebook friend request uh, if you, you know, you're coming through um, as a podcast listener. Just join Twitter. To follow me on there. It's much easier, and that's where I really talk. Facebook is a place I go uh, when I just want to see. Um, I, I just go to see what people are up to. I don't really comment much, uh, you know, or sometimes I just look at people's girlfriends and then I leave. <laughs> All right. Uh, Bobby, with an I, writes about her reactions to Marvel Now. She says, listening to your reviews, talking about giving the new titles a story arc or two to judge whether you'll keep reading them is a problem I'm finding as well. There are too many double ship titles to want to read them all. What do you think will survive your cuts? For me, it'll be all new X-Men Uncanny Avengers as long as Rogue is in it, and I can't wait for Young Avengers. Thanks, Bobby. Um... I'm not sure if you saw the recent announcement, but Brian Wood of Demo and DMZ fame, he'll be writing a new Marvel Now title simply called X-Men, featuring not men, but women, Storm, Jubilee, Kitty Pride, Rachel Summers, Psylocke, and Rogue. Uh, I read an interview with the writer of Uncanny Avengers, Rick Remender, where he stated Rogue was only going to be in his title, but apparently that's been altered. So there's another title to look forward to if you are a Rogue fan. For me, with Marvel Now, that feeling of, eh, I don't really need to catch up on this title, has started to set settle in. Uh, my initial goal of reading the first story arc for, the, for you know, all of these titles is really being tested. Uh, of the titles out so far, my must-reads, and these are titles that I won't drop unless a major creative shift happens. My must-reads are Hickman's Avengers and New Avengers. Regardless of the artist, I'll stay on. I, I just want to see big things happen. Um, all new X-Men. And I have to assume Uncanny X-Men with Brian Bendis on both. Um, Stuart Immonen on the art for all new X-Men. And Chris Pichalo on the art for Uncanny X-Men. Um, if these stories keep interconnecting and if the narrative keeps building, I'll stick around. Uh, Indestructible Hulk, I like the premise, I like the Lionel Francis Uart, I want to see what Mark Wade does. It feels long-term, so that's pretty good. And finally, Thor, God of Thunder, again, the first arc really sold me. Jason Aaron, Isad Rivik, I know Isad Rivik probably won't be able to do month-to-month, -month, but if they keep a stable pool of similar artists on it, I can see me sticking with that book for a long time. All right, then you have the titles that I'm reading, but I feel I could probably drop if I start to let them pile up or if I see that the books just start to meander. And that would be Captain America, although I'm really enjoying it for now. I could see me walking away after this first initial 10-issue arc is gone. Um, FF and Fantastic Four by Matt Fraction. They're fun, they're enjoyable, but I feel it's very, you know, for now. I can feel them sort of slipping out of my radar. Then you have the ones that... I'm fairly certain I'm going to drop, not because I don't enjoy them. I just feel 
they are kind of off to the side in terms of the overall Marvel U narrative. So they're good reads. Some are kind of middling. I, I don't know. I, I don't think I can keep reading them for one reason or another. But um, these are Avengers Assemble, Thunderbolts, Journey into Mystery, which I am really enjoying, and Red She-Hulk. I, I don't know. I don't think they'll stick around for long. And then you have the ones that are either boring or feel sloppy or just a little painful to read, especially when you put them up against some of the other Marvel Now titles. And these are Cable and X-Force, Deadpool, Iron Man, Morbius, Superior Spider-Man, Uncanny Avengers, and X-Men Legacy. Um, yeah, I'm not going to be sticking with them uh, at all. Um, there are some new titles coming out. I need to read this week's Savage Wolverine. I'm looking forward to Guardians of the Galaxy. Uncanny X-Force and X-Men haven't started yet. Fearless Defenders, Wolverine, Nova, Secret Avengers, and Young Avengers. That leaves, if I haven't missed anything, Avengers Arena. And on Twitter the other day, a listener I met through my CGS days, Chris Gamble, he made the connection that one of the characters is Cammy from Annihilation. Or, from where I know, or Drax the Destroyer by Keith Giffen um, that predated Annihilation. And uh, I thought, Cammy, oh man, I like that character a lot. Uh, I just hope that they keep her around, and knowing my luck, or Keith Giffen's luck, they'll probably kill her off if they haven't already. It's because I haven't read issue three yet. But as long as she's in it, I think there's a real good reason for me to read it. So they're lucky for them, because uh, I'll stick with that book as long as she's there. Um, if you, if Cammy was to be played by an actress in a movie, I could see Aubrey Plaza playing her. Now, Aubrey Plaza might be a little older than the character, but it, it, she has that kind of temperament. All right, Tony Hazell, he says, I've been going through my collection of comics to get rid of the ones I don't want anymore. Then something occurred to me. We know about comic collectors, people who read the books and keep them. Are there people who read them but don't save them? I'd be interested in your thoughts, to which I say absolutely. I know of people who move comics on eBay or elsewhere online, or Amazon, um, some give them away to local libraries or schools or uh, to soldiers overseas. Um, there are other ones who trade them into stores, either online or locally, for credit and such. Um, you know, I kind of skirt that that label, right? Am I a collector? Yes, because I have tons of boxes to prove it. But I also sell. I sell tons of stuff on eBay. I haven't recently, but I, I usually go into spurts where, you know, I'll, I'll just sell everything that I get my hands on. Um, I've sold off my Black Panther run, and I love Black Panther. I'm slowly trying to build it up, but uh, I sold off Nightwing. I sold off some Morrison-written comics. If I can move them, I'll sell them. Like trades, trades, hardcovers, absolutes. I, I've sold tons of them online. Some of them I didn't even get to read because I was selling them. So, yes, they are out there. It, It's like that, you know, uh, thing about ripping the band-aid off you kind of once you do it once it gets a lot easier so uh, yeah they do exist all right let's wrap up with some quick feedback hits this is on the best of where i covered the best prematurely canceled title uh, and i gave it to omac dc's omac from last year sandy parker says perfect call on omac bright loud big fun great way to ex uh, describe that series sandy uh, Chris Bailey says, I will agree on OMAC. Keith Giffen is an artist that I loathed back in the 80s. I read Hex faithfully, and I blamed him for that book's demise until I learned differently, uh, learning that uh, Giffen had joined the book when it was already DOA. 
he continues, I read all kinds of new universe books, and what do you know, Giffen begins on justice and instant cancellation. I hated his art. Everyone has a style. Giffen's layouts look like a mess in my young mind. Plus he ruined Hex. So F. Keith Giffen, I said. Years later, I read copies of Legion of Superheroes that he had done, and they look great. Could this be the same guy who drew and crucified Hex? I read Ambush Bug and loved it. His style suited that book. Then he wrote Justice League International, which was one of my favorites of all time. My, my opinion began to change. I sought out, out his work as I got older, and like others whose work I had shunned, like Jack Kirby and Steve Ditko, I grew to not only appreciate those men, but began to love their work. By the time the 90s hit, I was begging for something that didn't look like manga or like Rod Liefeld or Jim Lee. I grew acquainted with Giffen, Kirby, and Ditko's work and absorbed it. On OMAC, the moment I cracked the book, I knew I loved it. It was Kirby meets Giffen, and it was what comics really mean to me. Not photorealistic drawings of Samuel L. Jackson on every page. Instead, we got classic comic art. I will miss it. Rest in peace, OMAC. Poor Keith Giffen. <laughs> um... There was a while there, uh, Chris, that after his after his sort of long Justice League run, he had this kind of like this curse going on. It was like the six-issue curse where he would get onto a book and they would cancel it after only six issues, like Vexed and Heckler. Um, Reign of the Zodiac with Colleen Duran lasted eight issues. His Suicide Squad in 2001, that actually ran for a year. Um, but then he wrote Thanos. Uh, for six issues before that got canceled, and uh, but eventually that would all morph into annihilation, and we're all better for it. Simon McDonald also says my favorite comic prematurely canceled in 2012 was Omac as well. I didn't follow it from the start as I was scared away by the Dan DiDio writing factor, so I guess I was part of the problem with the cancellation. I did catch up on it later, and uh, after I kept hearing so many good things about the title. Awesome. It's still out there in collection for anybody who wants it. Uh, all eight issues have been collected. And, uh, you know, it's just big, bright, loud, fun comics, as Sandy Parker said. On Best Back Issue Completed Collection, Chris Bailey again, he says, Mine was by far original Marvel, Star Wars, and G.I. Joe. As a kid, these franchises were my life, and these books were so good early in their runs that it was the perfect extension of my playing with toys as it added character to my figures. Each run saw a decline after issue 50 and were dead by issues 80 of both books. Sad, but I'll never forget picking up the last issues of both books and thinking, I don't want to collect comics anymore. The new inca incarnations of the books do not feel that, fill that gap for me. G.I. Joe, in a way, is okay with the current Hama run, but the art is what takes me out of the fact. This is not the same book. Yep, sometimes you can't go home again. And to wrap up today's episode, we have Best of Day 14 by Nick Q. He says, I have to chime in on the best of. He wants to know best lunch, whether it's because of the food or because of the company, and best one-on-one -on -one conversation with a person, whether it's in person or Twitter, etc. Well, Nick, for me, last year and a little bit in, at the end of 2011, I would make frequent trips up to New York to hang out at uh, a bar called the Limerick that... Um, I think is being refurbished. I don't know if it's going to still be called the Limerick. Um, and the gang that I hang out with there is really the, the people that I just really enjoyed. And, um, you know, Mr. Phil from Indie Spinnerack and Jeff and Caitlin and Fred Chow and um, 
Tony G and Lenny would stop by, and sometimes Alan, uh, he goes by New Mutant, um, uh, Michelle and um, David D and anybody else who popped in uh, at one of my last recent trips. I guess it was around New York Comic Con, yeah. Um, I took my pretty girl up and she got to meet all them and some of the people from CGS were there and Rick Gordon stopped by and all these other people were there and it just was so much fun and uh, I love hanging out with all those people and I haven't done it since New York Comic Con. Um, I expect that maybe maybe around Mocha or sometime in the summer I'll do that again. I apologize if I missed anybody, but um, chances are they're probably not listening. That's okay. <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I, those are my best gatherings. I love it because it's a mix of, we don't always even talk about comics. Sometimes we just talk about anything and we get in arguments and laugh and drink and stay until three, two, three, four in the morning and then we leave. And, um, yeah, those, those, I love, I love those guys. They're guys and gals. They're a lot, a lot of fun. Um, and, uh, I hope to do more of that. So that would be my best gathering, best lunch, best, best company of people, um, that I like to hang out with on a you know non-convention level, um, not to disclude anybody else, but uh, yeah, I look forward to those uh, those meetups. So there you go. If you want to email me, Peter at thedailyreels.com. If you want to include a best of suggestion, I'm still taking them. And you can follow me on Twitter. You can follow me on Tumblr. Uh, write a comment on the f- on the website uh, or uh, subscribe through iTunes if you haven't already, and leave me a comment there. This wraps up this week. I'll see you next week. Have a great, safe weekend. Bye.